Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala seyyidil mursalin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve baraka ve selleme teslimen kethiran. İla yevmiddin amma ba'd. Eûzu billahi mineşşeytanirracim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين Our dear friends uh, welcome to this special Ramadan program. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an. Allah, Ramadan is the month in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Quran. There's a question as to whether Ramadan becomes special because Allah's words are revealed during this month or that Ramadan was already a special month which was chosen for the Qur'an to be revealed in. Whatever be the case, we find ourselves with another Ramadan, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us in this regard. So that's why it was decided this year that we would try to cover as much or as little, rather, of the Qur'an as possible uh, during these days, in the time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give to us. This tafsir, synopsis, glimpses, you can call it whatever you want. It is impossible to cover the tafsir in 30 hours in any kind of satisfying way. So be ready that whatever you get here, it's going to just create greater eagerness and greater thirst to learn more. It's just going to be glimpses. It in no way is it intended or can it ever be satisfying. If you want to look at just the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha as covered by one of the great Andalusian scholars, Imam Al-Qurtubi, that would take the entire Ramadan and probably more just to cover the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha. So the idea of this is that in the one hour that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us for this task, it's not going to be a tafsir of verse to verse because to be honest if you just try to if we try to just recite the whole chapter that would take at least an hour approximately uh, about half an hour and if you were to then to just translate it that would take probably another half an hour so just the translation would take a good half an hour or more so that's why it's not going to be verse by verse and likewise what we're going to be doing is we're going to take some of the major themes and selections. When we say major themes and selections, these are obviously those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has enabled us to choose. We're not going to say they're the most important themes or they are the most uh, salient themes because everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned is very, very, very well thought out, planned, chosen, and there can't be anything greater than that. 
So we, it's very difficult to say I'm going to mention this and not this. That's why I'm going to say whatever Allah gives us and enables us to choose from it, that's what we're going to be able to do and whatever time allows, inshallah. Um, so we will not be doing a verse-to-verse -verse translation. What we are going to try to do though is that because the Quran was actually revealed in surah form, so the major divisions of the Quran is actually based on the surahs, what we can call chapters if you want. This idea of 30, 30 sections or 30 parts, which they call ajza, juz ajza or uh, supara or sipara or in Urdu in other languages, that's more for facilitation. That's more for facilitation. That's why you have Surah Al-Baqarah that starts in one of those parts and ends in the third part. And that you then have multiple surahs in some of these ajza. But because Ramadan has 30 days and there's already this 30-day division of the Qur'an as such, that they've divided up like that, that's the only reason we're using it for uh, convenience purposes like that. So what we're going to try to cover for sure is that we're going to focus on each surah as it comes through in those parts, the 30 parts. We're going to definitely try to speak about the connection between each surah with the next and with the previous one. The reason is that that is, according to the majority of scholars, something that the Prophet ﷺ did. It wasn't arbitrarily done. So the Prophet ﷺ would say, although the surahs were not necessarily revealed, were not revealed actually in the way that we find them in the Qur'an today, that is not the chronological revelation uh, order, but the Prophet ﷺ would say when, for example, Surah Al-Insan was revealed, okay, place it here or place it there, which basically means that the reasoning that he's going to place it in any single place or after a certain surah before another one, is obviously because there's some harmony between them. There's some congeniality, similarity, there's a connection of the themes, uh, there's a continuation sometimes. One surah is sometimes seen as the precursor, the prelude to the next surah, right? And the other surah provides the greater detail, and so on and so forth. So we will be discussing that. We will then, inshallah, I mean, zoom into some verses. And again, that's up to Allah, uh, how He allows us to choose those. And we'll look at that. This is not going to be just the stories of the Qur'an either. This is not story night or story evening or story day or whatever, right? We want to take a lot of lessons from this as well. So it won't be just stories, but there will be some stories. And we won't be able to necessarily mention complete stories all the time. That's something that you will have to go and supplement from the various different books written on those stories and other tafasir that are more in detail. Because in one hour, if you just try to talk about the story of Yusuf salam, that would be quite challenging. Likewise, the main objective then for this, really, is that going by the rule and the maxim which says that what cannot be attained fully, then you shouldn't abandon it completely either. So that's why we're thinking this is the month of the Qur'an, people are already going to be reading, but we're just trying to facilitate... Right? Because for everybody to go and pick up a book or to read a detailed tafsir is very difficult. It's not easy. It's, it is quite a momentous task. So we're just facilitating that we can give you a bit of a sneak peek. We can give you a bit of a glimpse so that that, inshallah, creates a greater thirst. And then, inshallah, your journey to understand the Quran can begin there. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq. So it's to create that eagerness to learn eventually from other detailed surahs. It's then another thing that I will do is a few minutes at the end we're going to spend in trying to understand all the lessons or as many lessons as possible that we can 
get, uh, we can gain from the surah, from, from the chapter that we're doing, the various different lessons. So I'll stop a few minutes in advance and then we'll just go through those. Because the main thing is that for us, that Quran needs to become a light for us in our life. And believe me, anybody who reads it, I'll, I'll give you a few ex ex examples. You'll understand what I'm saying. We will mainly focus eventually, our objective of this is to actually derive the lessons. The lessons from this and the advices that we can take. Those people who've really engrossed themselves in the Quran, the Quran has satisfied them. Satisfied in the sense that it's basically taken them away from everything else. There's one scholar of the Qur'an, he would say, as long as I've got the Qur'an, I don't even need paradise. Now, it's obviously an exaggeration, or that's a reality for him. He doesn't mean that I deny paradise. He's saying, when you've got the Qur'an, you don't, you know, why do I need to even look out for paradise? Obviously, anybody who's adherent of the Qur'an, who loves the Qur'an like that, they're, they're going to get to paradise anyway. Because the Qur'an is the way to paradise. That is the manual of Allah for human beings and for all creation. So he, he would actually say that what's the point of paradise? He says, even if I do get to paradise, he says, when I do get to paradise, and all of the huris is a man, so he's saying with all the huris, when they come, I'll say to them, come on, you sit down and let's, listen, let's, let's learn from the Qur'an, let's read from the Qur'an. That's serious love of the Qur'an. Right? So what you have to understand is that the Qur'an requires a bit of an effort. It's there for the taking for everybody. Anybody can access it. Of course, there are higher themes in there which are not easy for everybody. And the Quran is a bottomless ocean. It can unfathomed. Scholars of just the balagha aspect, just the eloquence aspect, just the style of its writing, they're saying that everything in 1400 years that has been said on this subject is just literally a drop in the ocean. So there's just so much more. That's why the Qur'an is unsurmountable and that's because it's the words of Allah, it's infinite. The thing with the Qur'an is that the Qur'an is food for the spirit, the ruh. Whereas other things like music, good singing, of anything else is generally food for the nafs, the soul. There's a difference between food for the nafs and the spirit, the spirit is a higher realm. The nafs can be the mischievous, the evil nafs as well. So that's why it's much easier to satisfy the nafs and give it food than the ruh. Because the nafs is always in between trying to take some, divert a person first. That's why they say that those who really get to understand the Qur'an, they will not require anything else. The Qur'an is going to satisfy their soul and their spirit. Their spirit and their soul. So they won't need to listen to any other thing that they get engrossed in. But now you see why there's so much addiction to things like music and things like that. Because if it's the Qur'an, once a person gets beyond that level, that, that learning level, and once a person gets to understand the Qur'an, then inshallah the benefit that they will get will be directly for the spirit. So I start off with... Uh, I start off with uh, just a few words. It's actually the beginning of a sermon by one of the great scholars. And I'm going to just read it quickly. He says, Quran 
Basically saying that the bounties of Allah upon this servant, this weak servant, cannot be enumerated and cannot be counted. The greatest of them is the divine enablement to understand the Qur'an al-Azim. So he's saying that he's got the understanding of the Qur'an. Now this is none other than Shah Waliullah, one of the great scholars, Rahimahullah of India. We can't say that, but at least we can inshallah say that May Allah bless us with the love of the Qur'an so that we can inshallah benefit from it. So let us start uh, with the first juz, which means Surah Al-Fatiha and Surah Al-Baqarah. So firstly, let us start with the first juz of the Qur'an. Obviously, it contains one surah, which is Surah Al-Fatiha, and a part of the second surah, which is Surah Al-Baqarah. So let's quickly look at Surah Al-Fatiha. As I said, the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha is hugely detailed, which we don't have the time to get into right now. But... Surah Al-Fatiha being placed where it is and being called the Fatiha, the opening, uh, followed by Surah Al-Baqarah. There's an agreement of the scholars of tafsir, etc. that Surah, surah Al-Fatiha is a Makki Surah. And that also very early on in the Meccan period. Obviously, I mean, these are Aspects that most of you will know, so they might sound a bit repetitive. Seven verses, right? Just the difference of opinion as to whether Fatiha is a verse or not. If Fatiha is a verse, then there's two verses in, inside which are connected together, or two parts which are connected together. And for those like the Hanafis who do not consider Fatiha a verse of the Surah Al-Fatiha, they just separate uh, the verse at the end into two verses. So that's why they both get seven verses. So nobody has eight verses as such. Because it's as-sab'ul mathani. It's the seven repeated verses. Now, despite the fact that it's only seven verses, just a page, generally in most mushafs, it's only a page. It takes only a page. It's considered to be uh, comprising of the fundamentals of the entire Qur'an. That's why it's also called Ummul Qur'an, the mother of the Qur'an, because it actually encompasses the essence of the Qur'an. It's also called the asas, asasul Qur'an which basically means the, the, the foundation of the Qur'an. What that means is uh, Surah Al-Fatiha, it plays a number of roles. It acts as a muqaddimah, as an introduction to the Qur'an, the introduction to the themes of the Qur'an, introduction to the Qur'an. And it also acts as a summary of the Qur'an. So it's almost like a summarized prelude of the Qur'an or introduction of the Qur'an. Uh, how do we say that? I mean, the story of Yusuf al-Islam isn't in there. Well, it is, but not in detail. It's been alluded to. Sirat al-ladina an'amta alayhim. Essentially, if you look at it from a theme, thematic perspective, the entire Qur'an is based on Tawheed, Risalah, and Qiyamah, the hereafter. So the, declaring the oneness of Allah, establishing the oneness of Allah, Risalah, the prophecy, messengership of the Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Qiyamah. And that is the ma- th- those are the major themes. There are other themes as well. You can have several different themes. People have, scholars have divided the Qur'an into several different types of themes, lists of themes. But this is kind of agreed upon at least these three themes. And when you, what you see is that you actually find this in the Qur'an. So, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Iyyaka Na'budu wa Iyyaka Nasta'een. All of that is Tawheed. Then you've got Maliki Yawmiddin. That's about the Day of Judgment. So that's Qiyamah. Then after that, you've got the Risala, right? That is 
underscored in Ihdina Sirat al Mustaqim Sirat al Ladina An'amta Alayhim until the end. Other than that, there are other themes mentioned in here from the Quran, the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or characteristics of Allah, the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, concept of worship, which is what's important for us, which the Quran speaks about in many places. Another major theme of the Quran is istiqama, steadfastness, not wavering, not going to extremes. That's mentioned in here, Ihdina Sirat al Mustaqim, the straight path. Then of course dua is a major theme in a Muslim's life. So you've got a huge dua in Surah Al-Fatiha. Many people who are doing Surah Al-Fatiha, they don't realize that when they're reading it so many times a day, they're actually making a dua to Allah. If they knew that, they'd probably try to understand its meaning and put some serious effort in there uh, and put some mozil in there. The dua is essentially, uh, aside from that, while it also indicates towards the Anbiya, the messengers, and the Sulaha by saying, Sirat al An'amta alayhim, the path of those who you've given us, uh, no, the path of those that you have showered your blessings upon. These are obviously the Sulaha and the Anbiya. And on the other hand, you've got the Ghayl al Maghdubi alayhim, those who've been punished, those who the punishment has come down upon. Those who went astray, and those who went astray, all of those are signified in there. So what we can say is that Surah Al-Fatiha, if you want to understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that is one of the most important surahs that you can get a good understanding about. It's got a treasure uh, of knowledge in there which has to be unpacked. Treasure of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which has to be unpacked. The way it's a summary of all the surahs of the Qur'an, that means if there's 114 surahs of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Fatiha is one of them. The other is 113. And if Surah Al-Fatiha is the khulasa and a summary, that means that it actually is a summary of 113 surahs of the Qur'an. But that has to be unpacked. It has to be thought about. It has to be reflected upon and pondered. Maybe because it holds so much, Maybe because it holds so much information and guidance in there, maybe that is why we've been told to recite it in every rak'at of our prayer. So we have certain rak'ats in which we only, which we only do fatiha, not a surah, but in others you have to do this fatiha. Maybe it's just to help us to gain a glimpse. That's why we're told to read it. It's probably a Muslim would probably read surah, and anybody, any Muslim who's praying fatiha, sorry, who's doing salat regularly, the, the, the, what they're going to be reciting probably most frequently in terms of a substantial amount is Surah Al-Fatiha. Aside from the Allahu Akbar and Sami' Allahu Liman Hamida. But really, the Surah Al-Fatiha is probably the most repeated words in the world. If you think about it, Surah Al-Fatiha are probably the most repeated words in the world. Like exactly like that. In the same form. Right, that's Surah Al-Fatiha. That's all we got time for, if you want to do the rest of Surah Al-Baqarah. So, Surah Al-Baqarah now starts with the largest surah. That's the largest surah of the Quran. It has about 200 and, uh, uh, 260 or 80 verses in there. So, it's uh, closer to 300. And 
the majority of it, the majority of, uh, you see, Surah Al-Baqarah is a very long surah, so it didn't all come down at once. It came down in different places, different times, some in the Meccan period, some in the Medinan period. But majority of it was revealed after the migration. So it's mostly Madani. It's mostly Madani. Um, and that's why, though some of it may have come down in Makkah Mukarramah, they generally consider it Madani, as in Medinan Surah, because they go by the majority. Why is it called Surah Al-Baqarah? I mean, those who understand Arabic or basic Arabic, they'll know that Baqarah means a cow. The largest surah in the Quran has got that name because the convention of naming the surahs of the Quran is that because every most larger surahs contain many, many themes. I mean, the Fatiha itself has many names because it's got so many themes and we didn't have time to go in there, but it's called the Surah to Shifa because you read it on someone and blow on someone, it's your Ruqya, right? You don't have to spend huge amounts of money, right? It's the Fatiha, it's Ummul Quran, Asasul Quran, it's the Kafiyah, it's sufficient, right? For those who invoke it in a time of need, it becomes sufficient. So Surah Al-Baqarah, it's got a famous name, Surah Al-Baqarah, because of a verse which, or a discussion about it and a story that's related in the Quran about, Surah, uh, about the Baqarah, which is a significant story, but there are so many other stories that are also in there, but this was chosen for that. So, uh, Baqarah, as I mentioned, it means, it means a cow. What, what happened is that there was a very wealthy person among the Bani Israel. And Surah Al-Baqarah is full of the discussion of Bani Israel, because it's setting the stage. This is the tradition, the, the godly traditions, the revealed traditions in the time of the Prophet ﷺ before he came were the Christians and the Jews, the Yahud and the Nasara. Right? Those are the traditions. The people of Mecca, they may have had some remnants of the Abrahamic faith, but otherwise they were mostly idolatrous, right? worshipping idols and so on. So in terms of the, the religion they had access to that, was, that had some backing, that had some origin uh, in, in, uh, in Allah's words was the Yahud and the Nasara. Of course, you had the Persians who were fire worshippers, right? So that was not a revealed religion as such. And if there was anything else, it was Wallahu A'lam, right? Again, everything had been distorted by that time anyway. So, what it's, so you'll see a lot of a huge discussion about the Bani Israel and because there's a lot of uh, there's, a, there, there's a lot of knowledge about that, historical knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is providing so we can learn lessons from that, we can avoid the mistakes that they made, and so on and so on. So you'll see that the first Jews of the Quran is actually full of that. Uh, lots of encounters about the Bani Israel. But anyway, this particular story, after which the surah is named, is called, uh, it's about this individual from the Israelites who was very wealthy. His nephew killed him to get his inheritance. So he killed him, and then he took his body in the night and placed it in front of somebody else's door. Right? Probably the worst thing to do, but that's what he did. And then after that, he makes a claim against that individual falsely that he killed him. Because he's a family member, so he's got the right to make the claim. So he makes a claim against that individual. Now what's going to happen is that these are now two tribes. They're about to fight. Because they, they don't agree, obviously, that he could not have killed him. So they're about to fight and they're going to go to war and there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I mean it's a long story, but the point is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Musa alayhi salam, tell them to slaughter a cow 
take some of its meat. I mean, they were probably slaughtering cows anyway. But slaughtering cow, take the meat and go and place it, touch it with the, the deceased and the, the truth will be revealed. Long story. The, the hukum was just that you should just you should just uh, sacrifice a cow they could have done that simply but they started asking a lot of questions so that story is told from verse 66 and onwards which you can read up but essentially eventually they managed to so they found a cow after making it so difficult on themselves they found the cow and they slaughtered the cow they took some of its meat they put it onto the murdered individual and he spoke up. He comes back to life almost. He speaks up. And he informs them of who killed him. Now what's very interesting is that many stories, many events, like the event we're going through right now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is extremely comprehensive. So with a single event, there are so many different things that are happening. So many ways it's affecting different things. We don't even know. We, we, there's certain things you see reports about how it's going to affect the, the economy, how it's going to affect people's mental health, how physical health, people already died, and so on and so forth. We've, we've got that. But there are so many other things which we don't even know. The wisdom of Allah, some of it will only be understood in years to come because this is going to leave its mark. So likewise here, with that incident, it was a very particular incident. But in those days, there was also this question that had begun among the Bani Israel about questioning the hereafter. Questioning the hereafter. So this was like a miracle that while it was very specific to this particular individual case, but the fact that the person came alive and managed to tell, uh, pinpoint and identify their, their killer, this also had a benefit like that. Also another thing some of the Mufassirin mentioned is that the Bani Israel, the Israelites, having lived with the Egyptians for a very long time, they had this very special um, infatuation with cows almost to the level of respect and honor in a way that they may have thought of them to be sanctified in a certain sense. So that's why when they were actually told to sacrifice a cow, that done away with this whole idea that the cow is supposed to be some kind of a sacred animal in that sense. The cow is a beneficial animal, but it's not a sacred animal in that sense, even though it's mentioned in the Qur'an. And the longest surah is that. So even Hindus today couldn't use this as an, uh, as an example. Anyway, let's move on to the surah quickly. This surah starts off with uh, saying that it is a mu'jizah of the Prophet muttaqin. And... It is, this is the greatest of the Prophet's miracle. It's the most perpetual miracle. That's why there's a hadith in Sahih Muslim, Sahih al-Bukhari, etc. which says that the Prophet, the Prophet said that every Prophet was given something, an ayah. Every Prophet was given a sign, right? A sign that was used to prove their prophecy. So every Prophet is given, Prophets were given signs by which it basically showed how to, uh, it basically proved to people that their claim for prophecy was correct because nobody else could counter those signs as such. So, in that regard, what we have is 
the Prophet ﷺ had numerous miracles. Water pouring from his fingers to a tree literally coming as though it's on some tracks to, uh, uh, to, to basically greet him. A stone saying, yes, you're the Prophet. A smart stone speaking, right? All of these kind of things. But the greatest of them is the miracle of the Qur'an. Because all of those things were very time-specific. The splitting of the moon, who saw that? A few people, right? So it, it was there for the people to see it. But today, the miracle that we still have with us, though we have, uh, we, we have an understanding of all those miracles through the hadith and so on, but really, what we have is the Qur'an. The Qur'an is still the living miracle. I've got a lecture on that on zamzamacademy.com on how the Qur'an is a miracle because we can't get into that right now. But basically, this is one of the greater, greatest miracles of the Prophet ﷺ. And the most interesting thing is that it starts from Alif Lam Mim. Now, there's numerous surahs in the Qur'an that start off with letters. Yasin, Taha. Now, if you look at all of them, most of them at least. Yasin wal Qur'an al-Hakim. Taha ma anzalna alayka al-Qur'an litashqa. Right? Hamim ayn sin qaf. كَذَلِكَ يُوحِي إِلَيْكَ حَامِيم وَالْكِتَابِ الْمُبِينَ أَلِفْلَامِيم ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ Every time Neely, where the, there are the huruf muqatta'at, we call them, separate, letter, separate letters, right? Everywhere you see that, you see that generally the verse after it is about the Qur'an or the revelation. So there's a connection, seemingly, between the letters and the revelation. Because... There's many views about what exactly these letters mean, if anybody even knows them or not. Some people have claimed that, yes, they know the meaning. The Prophet ﷺ knew the meaning, secret message between Allah and His messengers, so on and so forth. Allah knows best. What I want to mention right now is that starting from Alif Lam Mim here, after the Surah Al-Fatiha, right, is that this was very, very effective for the host community, the Arabs. These Arabs... I mean, the word Arab, right, comes from the concept of I'rab, ta'rib. And ma, it's, it's articulation. It's articulating what's in your heart, what's in your mind, to articulate that in words so that you can convey the meaning. Arab, ta'rib, that's what it means. That's why they would call everybody who is not an Arab, they would call them ajam. Ujmatun, ajam, means dumbness. Not a, I don't mean dumbness in this like a you know, swear word or something. It's literally dumbness in the sense that I can't articulate somebody who can't articulate themselves well enough. Arabs are very proud of their language. And I mean, the language is definitely something very proud, something to be proud of because it's so comprehensive. Various shades of meaning for just the shat, the, the, the goat, they have, I don't know, 60 or 70 words. For lion, they have like, I don't know how many words. It's just to provide slight different shades of meaning, right? Few other languages are like that. So they thought they just had the peak of eloquence. Everybody else couldn't articulate themselves, no other language. So while they were very uncivilized in their general demeanor, fighting, warring factions, but in terms of language, that was something very special. Maybe that's why they were chosen. Because remember, a religion spreads through propagation. So one of the reasons why they were chosen is probably because of the, their articulation as the host community. That doesn't mean it must be restricted to them. Alhamdulillah, Allah has used many others afterwards, right? Uh, and they've learned Arabic actually. So maybe they've become Arab. I consider myself an Arab to be honest, 
right? Because I know Arabic. Right? Because if Arabic means, if Arab means to be able to articulate yourself in the Arabic language, well, I think I should be qualified enough to do that. Right? And there's probably some Arabs who can't do it properly. Right? May Allah give them, may, the, may Allah allow everybody to understand Arabic well so that you can understand the Quran. So because of that, they, they, they used to really, really be proud of their language and their, their compositions and their poetry and everything. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throws this in. Just a few letters. What do they mean? Nobody has an idea. Right? And it's always generally attached to Wal Quran, Kitab, this book. That's why many ulama consider those words, those, those, that, that uh, Yasin, Taseen, Hamim, to be a challenge to those who think they know the Arabic very well. That what do you understand from this? What is the understanding of this that you have? That just a few letters we're using. Now the thing is that nobody's been able to, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then clearly states that in at least three different places in the Quran, in other surahs, First here, in Surah Al-Baqarah we have that فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ مِّنْ مِثْلِ right? uh, Then there's uh, other places, same thing Okay, if you want, bring something like it So that's another theme that is going to be dis- that's discussed in Surah Al-Baqarah فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ right? فَأْتُوا سُورَةٍ And nobody's been able to do that they, they were probably some of the most eloquent people right, That have ever lived to speak Arabic They were unable to challenge it Even despite, despite the fact that they wanted to challenge it and then nobody's been able to do it since And they won't, nobody will do it in the future I had a young boy, young guy come to me the other day Who's in a Muslim household and he says I've got doubts uh, his, I think the, the, the diagnosis I have is that he's a s- skeptic Skeptical about many things So his skepticism is that look I do believe the Prophet ﷺ was a good person He was there and so on and so forth But um, and the Quran has not been challenged until now But what about if it is challenged in the future? What about if somebody creates something? Now how do you respond to something like that? You've had 1400 years Some of the best and most eloquent people to ever live Right? In Arabic And they've not been able to challenge it So it's not going to happen in the future right? We know that anyway from our scriptures But how do you respond to somebody like that from a logical way? So then I told him, I said Well, it'd be a bit foolish to ignore that right now uh, to, to, dis, dis, uh, to, to, uh, to refuse the Qur'an right now Just because you think someone might I go, believe it right now And in the future, if somebody does make up something We'll discuss it then I mean, what else are you going to tell somebody like that? Because sometimes, I mean Skepticism is a problem It's not that you've got a real problem with it It's just skepticism, what if, what if, what if So the question is that What if the life that you're living right now Is a dream? Because when you're in a dream You feel like you feel like you're in a reality And when you wake up, it's like, oh, I'm glad that nightmare was just a dream But you felt it was a reality What about right now? Are you in a reality or are you in a dream? How do you know you might not wake up from a very, very, very long dream? So if you want to be skeptical Then there's a lot of stuff to be skeptical about But a person would have a mental health problem if that was the case Because it'd be very difficult Alright, let's move on now the, the, verse, uh, the, the, the verses of Surah Al-Baqarah in, uh, I'm just going to focus on uh, the first chapter right? And in there, one of the big themes is that Because it seems like it's the first chapter of the Quran uh, The humans are divided into three major categories You've got the mu'min, the believer You've got the kafir, the disbeliever And you've got the munafiq Right? 
which is the hypocrite, kind of like a hybrid, trying to be a hybrid in between both. And what's important, again, lessons for us, what does it mean to be a believer in the Quranic paradigm? So first and foremost, there are five things that Allah mentions here in this, right? Number one, yu'minuna bil ghayb, iman bil ghayb. That is what distinguishes us. Iman bil ghayb is not easy. Iman with the unseen is not an easy idea. What you see, it's easy to believe. I put money, God forbid, somebody puts money in a bond, interest-bearing uh, investment, they see the money grow, I can see that, seems rational. Money seems to be secure. As opposed to that, a believer is says, a believer is told, Given the path of Allah, Allah will in increase it, multiply 70 times. That's belief in the unseen. Number two, establishment of prayer. Yuqeemun salat And zakat. Generally, salat and zakat are brought together. So that tells us some of the most important things here. We can't mess around in our salat. Like, we need to have a salat done. And those of us who are praying five times, or who are not, let us try to start doing it for Ramadan and inshallah carry on. Those who are not, sorry, those who do, then what we need to do is to try to do our qadha prayers to estimate all the past missed prayers and try to make those up so that inshallah we can have a clear balance when we get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala number four the belief that we believe in all the past books as well obviously the true uh, main message of the books was monotheism so we agree with that of course after it's changed it's a different story and number five the fifth feature of a Muslim a mu'min is belief in the hereafter having absolutely no doubt about it. Islam, Iman, allows no doubt in our belief system. Uh, doubt is highly, it needs, to be solid, it needs to be resolved, otherwise it will create a huge problem. So this was the actual problem. If you see these five points, they're the ones which uh, show the contrast with the disbelievers and especially with the munafiqeen. Then the Quran speaks about see, what's very interesting, if you look at all of the verses in the first juz regarding these three categories of people, four talk specifically, like pointedly, about the people of the belief, mu'mineen. Two speak about the kuffar. And, and when I say kuffar here, we don't mean it in some kind of derogatory way. Right? Some people have now provided that nuance to it. Kuffar is just a legal designation. Somebody who is dismissed denied, who's not a believer. It's just a legal designation. It's just a neutral term of, of that. Yes, you can build other ideas into it if you want to, the way you say it, or what else you want to load into it. But I just want to mention that. And number three is munafiqeen. There are, in this section, 13 verses about them. 13 verses, as opposed to the believers, two verses uh, of, uh, for, for disbelievers and for three verses for believers. Now, in these 13 verses, there are 12 character, uh, characteristics of the, of the munafiqeen and hypocrites that are mentioned. Why? They were a historical reality. Yeah, you still get hypocrites, but they were a serious, you know, category. So, the point of the Qur'an is to teach, not just to relate things. So, I'm just going to quickly go, go through them. Uh, the first characteristic is lying, falsehood, deception. Just having no idea about the reality. Number three, um, 
fi qulubihim marad these are internal diseases mental psychological problems problems of the heart basically jealousy arrogance greed and so on uh, plotting and planning uh, for for the uh, the fall the fall of others uh, foolishness mocking the ahkam of allah yastahzi'un allah yastahzi'u bihim unfortunately i can't bring the verse for everyone because that would just take much longer but when you read this for yourself all of this will start making sense inshallah number 2 to, uh, sorry uh, furthermore creating a lot of corruption in the earth fitna and fasad in the earth ignorance is another one deviance uh, turbulence doubt like not knowing la ilaha ula wa la ilaha ula as mentioned in, in another place and mocking the believers anybody does that even though they're not munafiqeen today if anybody has these qualities uh, sorry these characteristics like deception and so on these are characteristics of hypocrites so we're told that you need to avoid them then after that you've got the story of adam alayhi salam you've got the story of adam alayhi salam and iblis remember this is the first surah the first man on this earth setting the scene between truth and batil so you've got the story of adam alayhi salam and iblis and thus iblis does not prostrate so you have that whole story he becomes mal'oon he becomes rejected he becomes a sworn enemy so allah is telling us right in the beginning of the quran know this that this was your forefather this was his enemy do not now take him as a friend but make sure that you take him as an enemy because this is what happened from your inception the malaika obviously mentioned there then after that in as i mentioned before th- this uh, this chapter has numerous discussions about the bani israel right uh, most of mo- most of the discussion there is about the bani israel and you've got numerous stories about them so for example it discusses a number of bounties that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to the israelites numerous bounties that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given them for example allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given them a lot of prosperity in the world allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given them the correct understanding he'd sent so many prophets to them over and over and over again to reinforce the faith for them hardly any other nation has had so many prophets the way they did right their, their prophets were like the ulama we have in our community that, that that's how many prophets they would have subhanallah then after that how allah protected them from the shaitan despite all odds he protected them from the shaitan he had miracles for them when musa alayhi salam uh, escaped they were all drowned the, the the pharaoh's people were all drowned the nile you know basically the the, the river welled up right from both sides made a safe passage and so on and so forth but then after that he also speaks about all of their excesses challenging allah hey we want to see allah not allah jahra we want to see allah clearly himself you know and how they were then destroyed but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring them back allah's immense mercy and rahma on them despite all of the then when they uh, when they wouldn't go in to the land and then after that they were forsaken in the in the in the valley and then after that what, what the struggles that they had to go there but still allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though that was like a punishment for them for 40 years or whatever but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them special food man and salwa right anzalna alayhim manna was salwa fanfajarat min huthna when they needed water 12 springs sprang up fanfajarat min huthnata ashrata ayna qad alima kullu unasin and subhanallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing that we've given these bounties but people can still do wrong so do not mistake the bounties they went as far as killing some of the prophets 
and a number of other excesses they were committing. That means human beings have that ability that even if they've been showered with gifts, it's showing that any human being. So the idea here is that not just to, it's not just to condemn them, the people who did this, but also to show that we mustn't go down that path. None of those things that they did wrong, despite having all of these bounties, because you won't survive. Right? Despite the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had, given, had bestowed so much on them. On top of that, they used to be very arrogant. They used to think that only they are going to go to paradise. And this was actually a, a competition uh, between the Nasara and the Yahud. وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَ لَيْسَتِ الْيَهُودُ عَلَى شَيْءٍ وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ لَيْسَتِ النَّصَارَ عَلَى شَيْءٍ وَهُمْ يَتْلُونَ الْكِتَابِ They both read the book. Then after that, the last part, once the discussion of Bani Israel finish, it, it doesn't finish exactly. It then takes both the Bani Israel and the Nasara, and it speaks about their archetype, which is Ibrahim alayhi salam, their, their ancestor, some, some, someone from whom they all come from and we come from as well. So then the discussion towards the end is about Ibrahim alayhi salam. And Ibrahim alayhi salam, it says, مَا كَانَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ يَهُودِيًّا وَلَا نَصْرَانِيًّا وَلَكِنْ كَانَ حَنِيفًا مُسْلِمًا So the deen of Nasraniya, the deen of Yahudiya, is incorrect, it's been cancelled. It should be now Hanifiyya, which was the pure faith of Ibrahim alayhi salam, which he sent his wife, he left his wife Hajar alayhi salam, in Makkah Mukarramah, from whom then they join up with the tribe of Jurhum, etc. And then from them come Ismail alayhi salam. Right? From her comes Ismail alayhi salam. Right? Uh, he leaves Ismail alayhi salam and Hajar. And then from Ismail alayhi salam comes, mashallah, the Arab al-Musta'araba. And subhanallah, that's where you get the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam from that. From that son of Ibrahim alayhi salam. So, speaks about all, uh, some of the difficulties that Ibrahim alayhi salam had to go through. But that when he succeeded, he was given, mashallah, a great um, reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was made the khalil. He was brought close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the, some of the struggles, I mean, you hear the story of at Eid time all the time, right? Leaving uh, his wife Hajar and Ismail alayhi salam there in the middle of the desert where there was nothing in those days. Forget the big hotels and the clock tower today. There was nothing. Hardly any trees, no water. But mashallah, where Allah tells you to do something, then Allah will provide. Allah will provide. Allah will provide. And that's why He provides a zamzam, which when He provides, it's I don't know how many thousand years and that well is still giving water. Despite the gallons and gallons and tons of water that basically is drunk from there every day and pumped out of there every day. Where it comes from, Allah knows. What kind of water table, right? It must, it's ghayb. So, this is also a lesson for the Nasara and the Yahud that you need to follow the real example of Ibrahim alayhi salam, who is the, the, the main example of all. And subhanAllah, until today, Ibrahim alayhi salam is respected by all. Right? They, have, they, they criticize certain other prophets like Sulaiman alayhi salam, calling him the King Solomon, Dawood alayhi salam, and so on. Some of them do that. But with Ibrahim alayhi salam, pretty much everybody respects Ibrahim alayhi salam. The other thing that we learn from here is that Ibrahim salam is shown there to give, to invite towards the deen al-Hanifiyya, which means to cut away from all other deities and focus on the one God, the one Lord, the one deity. And 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, فَإِنْ آمَنُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا آمَنْتُمْ بِهِ فَقَدْ اِهْتَدَوْا And سِبْغَةَ اللَّهِ وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ مِنَ اللَّهِ سِبْغَةً These are the last few verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the other prophets and then he says that why can't they believe the munafiqeen and others? Why can't they believe like these people have believed? And these people, subhanallah, are the sahaba. So the sahaba discussion there is in the first juz. فَإِنْ آمَنُوا if they were to believe like these people believe, who's, who's the example? It's the Sahaba. Then they would be fully guided. This subhanAllah is a great assurance about the greatness of the Sahaba in general. So now let us just spend a few minutes in wrapping it up and the, the lessons that we have from this. Firstly, Surah Al-Fatiha is, this, this has been a tough job by the way. To try to determine what you say and what you don't say Because you just feel like Let me say a bit more about this Let me say a bit more about this And then you look at the time Say we need to keep it within one hour SubhanAllah That's why I said Whatever we're going to say It's from Allah Right So Well we hope it's from Allah Shaitan is hopefully out of the story So maybe our nafs Is the only other challenge we have Hopefully in a few days We can deal with that as well And then it'll become pure inshallah And become better With your du'as inshallah So anyway Surah Al-Fatiha uh, it starts off, uh, the Qur'an starts off with that It's one of the greatest of the surahs of the Qur'an uh, I'll be mentioning some additional points here as well Number one, it has the greatest praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well Because when you're saying Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim All praises to Allah, Lord of the worlds Most merciful, most mercy giving Right? Um, sovereign of the day of judgment Only you do we worship Only you do we seek assistance from I mean, what greater... What greater invocation can you have of that of the praise of Allah? So it includes that. It discusses ikhlasul ibadah, sincerity in worship, by saying, Iyaka na'bud. Only you do we worship. We say that every day. But subhanAllah, we get misled afterwards by having these other things that we like more sometimes. And only you we seek assistance from. But again, we say that every day. Iyaka nasta'een. But then we go for others. It also discusses the reality of guidance and it gives a few categories of those who will be deprived of guidance. That's why it is a responsibility of those who recite the Fatiha or who hear it in day and night, minimum 17 times, minimum, just in a faraib. If you take the sunan and everything, it's much more than that. That they then be the most furthest people from resembling ways that are not belief not ways of belief, ways of disbelievers. Because you're saying that, that guide us to the path of those you've showered your bounties upon. So then why would then you actively do something different? So it's, it's, it's a weird conundrum in the mind that we say this, but then we do something different. May Allah allow it to be the same. Then Surah Al-Baqarah, longest surah in the Quran, and numerous sahih, uh, numerous fada'il mentioned about it. One of the greatest ba uh, benefits when you, inshallah, become one of those who will recite the uh, entire surah and understand it in detail, inshallah, Surah Al-Baqarah would take how many? Seven years for some people? We're not saying you must take that long, but at least take a month to read Surah Al-Baqarah, or two months, or five months, or even six months, even a year, it's not a problem, or longer than that. But basically the idea of it 
is that it, it, it's the whole uh, benefit of it is tarbiyah. It's to nurture and discipline the hearts of the believers upon submission by showing contrast with other nations how they were not submission. Submission to not just submission to all the commands of Allah and not to question them, even if you find them difficult. And not to, be, not to emulate other nations beforehand who Allah had gifted, but they still went wrong. That's why Allah says, آمَنَ الرَّسُولُ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ right? Allah praises the believer that the messenger believes in that which has been revealed to him from his Lord and so do the believers. That basically is a message for us that we need to have full belief in this regard. The other thing is, uh, as I mentioned before, just to conclude, is that this surah, it incorporates the three types and categories of people, the believers, the disbelievers, and the munafiqeen. Right? And it discusses basically the opinions and the approaches that each three of these categories had towards Allah and the Messenger وسلم, and then what became of them. So that's for us to learn that which one do we want to be from. We call ourselves from the mu'mineen, but then are we going to succeed in that regard? Then the long story about the story of Adam السلام, and his wife Hawa and then them becoming vicegerents on the earth. That is obviously one of the first surahs, uh, one of the first stories that, that is in fact the first story of the Quran by the way. Because everything else is talking about the munafiqeen and everything, but the first story that's mentioned, an account of some historical reality, right? Uh, if you look at it from the time of the Prophet then Adam and Hawa is the first story and it's completely appropriate because that is the first story. That is the first story. Then after that, speaking about the Bani Israel, the Yahud in particular, and how they dealt with the Quran and so on. And we understand the, uh, the, the story of the Baqarah, the cow, that what happened, which basically tells us that when you're given a command by Allah, without any hesitation, without any problem, try to do it the best you can. Stop asking too many questions. Stop saying, why? I don't see the wisdom in here. This is a typical modern idea. I don't see the wisdom. It needs to be easier. That's too difficult. Because all of that will create hardness in the heart. Inshallah, tomorrow or the day after, we'll be discussing that theme more when the verse comes about Aman al Rasul. Extremely powerful. Right? That basically a believer's state should be that they succumb and submit and subjugate themselves immediately to the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has praised the believers. Then it speaks about the discussion about uh, various different ways of the degeneration of those past nations and how they, um, how they basically uh, became uh, deprived because of that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then discusses, which I didn't discuss before, uh, prohibition, uh, pro prohibiting people from remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the masajid, right, in the masjids and trying to eliminate the masajid, right? That is something totally wrong. This is what uh, the Nasara did, right? And that, that shouldn't happen. It talks about al-Masjidul Haram, right? It talks about the uh, Masjidul Haram and uh, how it was built with Ibrahim salam and his son and, and so on. The, the, the, uh, another point, لا ينال أهدي الظالمون Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the true faith leadership will never go to the oppressors. It will only be to the sincere faith leadership. We're not talking about just becoming head of the committee or head of an organization, but the true faith leadership in the hearts of people. Number, number 11, 
Tarbiyatul Abna, teaching our children. There's a message in Surah Al-Baqarah for teaching our children. Even on your deathbed, you have Yaqub alayhi salam, Am kuntum shuhada'a idh hadara Yaqub al-mawt, idh qala li banihi, ma ta'abuduna min ba'di. Right? He's asking his sons on his deathbed, after I go, who are you going to worship? So our responsibility towards our children is until our death. In fact, it's after our death as well, but we have to set it in motion. So he verifies, he confirms with them. And eventually, and the final point Allah, main, Allah mentions, the way he finishes the, the, the, the, the, the way this chapter ends, تِلْكَ أُمَّةٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ لَهَا مَا كَسَبَتْ وَلَكُمْ مَا كَسَبْتُمْ وَلَا تُسْأَلُونَ عَمَّا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Beautiful, beautiful way to end it, which is, they are a people who, who've passed. For them is what they earned, and for you will be what you earned. So don't just revel in their stories, but do something for yourself, and you will not be questioned about what they would do, what they were doing. You're going to be questioned about yourself, so don't think that I'm from such a family, or I'm from this, or I'm from that, I'm from a noble, none of that is going to help. It's about your deeds and your actions, and that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's how this chapter ends. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to create ease, and um, uh, bear with us. Uh, we'll get, in, inshallah, into a more smoother routine as we go along. This is the first time I'm doing this. First time I'm doing this. And I thank all of those who've assisted in this regard to set this up. But we ask Allah for tawfiq that he allows the next 29 juz to be completed as well. Barakallahu feekum. Jazakumullah khair. May Allah bless your Ramadans and make them better than any Ramadan before. Make this Ramadan better than any Ramadan before it. And allow the Quran to, inshallah, illuminate our hearts and become the removal of our problems and our cares. Wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillah. Rabbil alameen.